episode 203. Thomas O'Grady, Life Unsettled. Welcome to Awaken Your Alpha. My name is Adam Lewis Walker, former athlete and teacher turned lifestyle and entrepreneur coach. Each week we bring you the world's most successful minds to inspire you to act on your true potential. Head over to ayalpha.com. If you really want to discuss your goals and get that clarity and then create a path to achieve it, all you need to do at this stage, go to ayalpha.com. Click on this episode, for example, scroll down, a link there, you can book in your free call, specific time that works for you as well as me. And these clarity calls standalone are very powerful. But if you just think, I'm not gonna wait till January to you know, make some significant changes, then just jump on a call and see how we can make it more of a reality for you. It is time to awaken your alpha. Okay, we have a brilliant one for you today, guys. We have, it's all about life unsettled today, and that's really talking about a new path and a better future. We have Thomas O'Grady, PhD on the line. Since the age of 12, he's been interested in entrepreneurial activities. He rose to the top in Soviet intelligence, broke Soviet code three times. In his international consulting firm, a top trainer in advanced programming and database development, wrote Database Developer's Guide to Microsoft Server 7, completely redirected corporate initiatives into customer focus. Formerly, he assisted many executives and companies researching feasibility and positioning for products, divisions, and companies, including Toyota, Mercedes, Mitsubishi, TRW, Fuji, and Microsoft. He has been on TV and radio as an expert over 300 times and in the print media, newspapers, and magazines over 35,000 times. On one day, he, he appeared in six different articles in USA Today, and yes, the rumor is true, he appeared in Vogue. Um, I come across Thomas through Life Unsettled, and then I, I bumped into him at a bar and event, and we had a good chat. But his his podcast is all about the unsettled years. You used to be sort of really in your high income years, around sort of 45 to 65 plus, and now obviously the world has changed a lot. So we're going to talk all about that. But firstly, Thomas, are you ready to awaken your alpha? Absolutely. Thank you. <laughs> no worries. I mean... Is there anything you'd like to add or highlight to your, um, your bio there? I know we, you've just released a book, which we're definitely going to talk about, The Mechanics of Breakthrough Success, that is going really well. But is there anything you'd like to sort of sum up, or did I miss anything in your introduction? Not really. Well, there's the one area on life unsettled that's important is, and it's turned out that it's been brought up by many people. Yep. There are so many people you need that you have to start thinking in terms of you need multiple streams of income jobs, et cetera, are not going to last forever. Mm -hmm. Companies are no longer lasting like they used to. And if you want to have insurance in a set, in essence, you really have to have some supplementary income of some sort. Now, however that's done, whatever it is, and it might be something you enjoy, it might be a hobby or something you're adding a little bit to, but in order to make sure that you're saving for your future, which should start out in your 20s, that's really what's key to your real future because when you're 65 or so, you may be trying to, or somebody may be laying you off, but you have another possible 30 years left of your life. What are you going to do? I don't know what it's like in England, Great Britain, but in the United States, most people have very little income over the age of 65. Not my area of expertise, but I think it's very similar in England. 
the days of sort of big pensions, that's completely gone in England as well. I just want to talk about your, your sort of alpha origins. Where I know you did study at California uh, at Berkeley, but where are you originally from and where are you talking to us from today? Well, right now I'm just outside Seattle, actually in Microsoft's backyard, so to speak, Redmond, Washington. And this is just like 21 minutes east of downtown Seattle. Yeah. And I originally came, I've been all over the country. So it's a little bit hard to say where I am from. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've been in California, Michigan, Texas, Pennsylvania, Delaware, New York. What would you say now is you, would you consider one of, or some of your areas of mastery? What, what do you really like to focus your time in nowadays? It's a difficult topic to talk about yeah. in the sense uh, to explain. But one of the things I've done very well has a very keen understanding of the customer perspective. So in sense of positioning and strategizing for a company division, et cetera. For example, I did the original positioning strategy work with obviously with others on the Lex division of Toyota. I did the same thing for Chrysler and Mercedes leasing programs. So those as well as doing it for small companies. Yeah. That I really enjoy because you can really see in position and that that does everything, you know, some people might call some of it strategic planning. Yeah. Because you're looking at everything from pricing to who the customers are. And the interesting thing is, is you can't price too high or too low. Uh, you have to be able to figure out what is a good price in order to capture the attention. And yeah. I've seen many examples where people price low, figuring that they're going to sell them something quick. And then everybody looks at it with suspicion, figuring there's something wrong with it. Yes. <laughs> Or it's like cheap and shoddy and the quality is not there, even if it is, you know, if it really is, it's an absolute bargain. So yes. how did you get into that sort of thing? I mean, what did you want to be growing up? And I suppose when was the kind of like an awakening moment when you're, you're, you went down that path? Because I say, you, obviously you've got a PhD. So you, do you have any idea what you wanted to be at that stage or in your teen years? When I was growing up, I never thought I was very bright at all. I thought I was pretty dumb. Hmm. I grew up with my eyes being crooked. And when your eyes are crooked, Everybody assumes you're dumb and uncoordinated. I actually had teachers in junior high school and high school said things to me or made some joke or fun of me yeah. in classrooms in front of other students. I had guidance counselors that told me that I would never amount to anything. They would read off my scores. I had the 99th percentile in every one of the tests, except for one I'd have 93 to 95, plus the national test, different categories. And after they read them off, they look at my parents and say, you know, you can't really go all the time by scores. <laughs> scores don't always tell you something. Wow. <laughs> then within two sentences, they would say something to the effect of, you know, not everybody's meant for college. Have you ever thought about sending them to a trade school? Well, needless to say, I didn't think very much of myself with yeah. all of these adults everywhere doing it. So I used to literally hope and dream to become average someday. Yeah. I mean, that was, Literally lying in bed, that's what I would be thinking of, which is hard for people to imagine, particularly when they see me today, because I've had so much success. Yeah. But one thing changed my life, and this is one of the reasons why I urge people thinking about, you know, they don't know where they're going, the military, and also if they're in the military, what they can do after they get out. Because when I went in, I took the test that everybody else did. I had signed up for the security agency. When I signed up, I went over to the second or third week of basic training that brought four of us that signed up for that over to a special building, walked us in and 
as the first two were heard, they give them the explanation of how to fill out the form. I woke up and they said, we all know what you want. You want languages. And I said, no way. I'm terrible at languages. Over Christmas holidays, they sent us all home in the middle of basic training because they didn't want to babysit us. Yeah. And on the train, these two guys sat next to me and urged and invited me to the New Year's Eve party. So I went. When I told them, I said, oh, you got to tell them you changed your mind. This is wonderful. We have a friend that went there. It's beautiful. It's Monterey, California. On top of that, they'll teach you how to learn a language. I wasn't intrigued by the beauty, but the fact that somebody would teach me how to learn something. Yeah. Went back, knocked on the door. The captain, the captain answers the door and says, what do you want? <laughs> and I said, well, I changed my mind. He hollered over. The only other person in the big, this big room, which was just the whole building, was a colonel. He said, hey, colonel, listen to this. This guy thinks he can change his mind. Colonel says, ask him why. Well, I was told I was going to be invited back. He said, why? Because of my score. What was your score? So I told him. They walked in. They uh, invited me in, and they brought me over and called up the National Security Agency on the spot, verified my score, and then gave me my choice of languages. What happens is the average score on the test for all people in the military is 12. For the people yeah. in the security agency, it was 18, 59 questions, yeah. it was 18. And the people in the security agency on average had two and a half years of college. Yeah. I'd gotten 58 out of 59. Whoa. <laughs> wow. So I, got a good, I still didn't think well of myself. Yeah, I was going to say, finally the great scores in the test started to pay off. <laughs> Blimey. Exactly. But what happened was the last, at the end of the class, when it was all over, yeah. a, a professor sat down with myself and another student and said, whatever you want to do, whether it's law school, medical school, that'd be far easier than what you just went through. And there was no question in my mind that was true because what happened was they said they would fail out 70% of us. Yeah. They really did. They turned around and said, and if you fail out, you're going across the street to advanced infantry training off to war yeah so there were people that had nervous breakdowns committed suicide so you had the stress high pressure yeah exactly pressure unreal well that set the events for my in future off because i started to think gee i still didn't think well of myself yet but i just thought gee if the military can make me push myself this hard with this perseverance and determination and dedication for them why can't I do it for myself this time? The other half of my thought was, gee, if the average person is 100 thinking in terms of my crew, and I had no idea at the time what mine was, I said, if mine's a 90 and we use 10% of our brain, but I use, I work 20% harder than everybody else, I'm a 10.8. They're only a 10. Now, whether that makes any sense biologically or not, I don't know, but the two <laughs> factors helped drive me. It wasn't until a whole huge number, a series of huge successes over the next eight years, which culminated in a Nobel Prize winner at UC Berkeley, Gerard Debreu, walking back from the coffee room, urging me to do a dissertation under him. And I was arguing with him, telling him I'm not good enough. What happened was the next morning I woke up, and when I woke up, you know, he relaxed in bed, etc. All of a sudden I said, gee, maybe I'm not so bad. And that's when I realized that maybe I had some opportunities ahead of me. Yeah. How old were you around then? Because it sounds like up to that point, potentially even with sort of things start, starting to go really well, that, like you said, life for two in terms of the belief in no matter what you were doing or how successful at that point, the belief in yourself just really wasn't there. 
Right. And it didn't matter because before that time, uh, when I was in the military, I mean, I was put in charge of two thirds of all Soviet intelligence. I broke Russian codes. Uh, afterwards, I was get, they made special dispensations, et cetera, that exemptions in order to promote me very rapidly, faster than you're supposed to be. And then I went to Hofstra University. I was awarded the Danforth uh, Rhodes. It's kind of remarkable that I had all of these and then getting admitted from Hofstra over to Berkeley. Those should be considered huge successes, but even with those, I was still attributing it all to working incredibly hard yeah. and my, managing my time incredibly well. What, what was your first job? When did you feel like you, you turned a bit entrepreneurial? Because it says you sort of, you've always had an entrepreneurial thing, but it's obviously in the military and then using a very academic scenario. Um, and then was you working for large companies or when do you feel like you went down more the entrepreneurial route or did you always feel you was there? When I got out of Berkeley, I was hired by General Motors Research Laboratories and did very well. Moved then over to corporate economic staff. Mike, sorry, that. Uh, then right from there, Chase Manhattan hired me in to head the automotive division. And this is for research. And that was going on. And then all of a sudden, it was, and they were all run individually. And matter of fact, I, the president, the chairman both actually hollered at me in the hallway. One time, actually, screamed, the president screaming at me. I won't mention his name because I was saying I was going to make my division profitable. And he said, "There's been lots of smart people before you. This is not going to happen. It can't happen, etc. We know it can't, etc." So, yeah. and actually, 14 months after I started, the monthly thing came out, and I started. It was now profitable. Unfortunately, they uh, about a month and a half later decided that they were, that that is the bank decided they're going to sell off everything, all the industry divisions, research divisions for assets only. I turned around and with everybody else, we were asked to go around to all the companies because the bank wanted to, of course, find good stead with all the companies anyway. And we were supposed to go around, sort of ease their tensions, et cetera. Four companies told me that if you start your own company, we'll be customers. Well, I was concerned about that because it amounted, amounted to building massive data sets and research facility, et cetera. Yeah. But I did it anyway, got the sign off for the non-compete from Chase. And then seven, six, seven days before they were closing down, the deal fell through. Oh. There I was, yeah. So there I was, and I ha I had to go. And now my main competitors were Chase Manhattan Bank, Merrill Lynch, McGraw-Hill, and Thompson Publishing. Now, in case your listeners don't know, they have deeper pockets than me by, by a lot. But I positioned my company in a very nice way such that we became the dominant company in the industry. What we did is you can't compete on price. You have to compete on quality. Yeah. Quality in the product that you deliver. Okay. And that's what that was my first and major big entrepreneurial move. Around this period or even right up to today, is there a sort of a specific kind of alpha quote that either resonates with you or something that you live your life by this sort of, is there something that springs to mind? There's one actually, and I used it. In not only one of my podcasts, it's also in my book. Mm -hmm. And people have started to quote it, and I've heard other people quote it. 
and, but it's it's down to how you do because the reason for my book, Master the Mechanics for Breakthroughs, yeah. is that somebody actually said to me, he said, you know, so lots of people have written a book because they've done something well. I said, but you've been eminent in multiple fields. How did you do this? And this is somebody that speaks all over the world, and yeah. spoke with, et cetera. So that's what motivated me to write it because I had never thought of it that way. And that really is what that, this quote is about. Master what the master has already done. So you just like you would copy and follow a mentor, copy yeah. and follow a master. Master what they've already done. I've had so many people that I explain this to and talk to, and what they usually say is, well, oh, that's good, and then I can put my spin on it. I said, wait, hold it, <laughs> hold it, hold it. Can you imagine, let's say, if I could get you to be a tennis player like Federer yeah. or a <laughs> golfer like Speed, would you say, well, I don't want to do it exactly like them. I don't want to really be the, like that good. I really want to put my spin on it because I know nothing. <laughs> and then they say, oh, I got what you mean. Yeah. Until you become another master, don't put any changes. And when you do put a change, only one change at a time. And the reason for that is actually earth scientific. It just, it just won't matter. No, that, I mean, that is a really good point because when you finish that, I honestly, I did think, is there something else coming? But it makes complete sense because otherwise, if, if you start making the tweaks and change before you've mastered it, it could go completely wrong and then it's going to be hard to pinpoint why it went wrong. And a lot of people, I'm sure, will sort of say, oh, it works for them, it doesn't work for me because obviously you've changed it too early or you've tried to put your unique spin on it before, you're, before you've mastered it. Brilliant. Okay. Exactly. And yeah. actually, if you, even later on when you've mastered it, if you change two things mm. and all of a sudden you drop off, you will not know whether it's one of them, which one it is, or the magnitude of one, or the interaction between the two, or the interaction between one or two of them with anything else that you've learned. So there's an infinite number of possibilities with your problem. That's why you only change one thing at a time. Brilliant. I mean, that sounds, you said that you, that came from your sort of little recent book that has just been released. Um, and we obviously said you're not going down the route of sort of uh, the Amazon and giving it away for free. It was, um, and it's doing really well. So it's, uh, you know, I'm, I wonder is it, what are, when it's the mechanics of breakthrough success, I, d I don't want to just sort of um, glance over it and say it can be as simple as can you give us some of the key tips? But I mean, what are, <laughs> if it is, and um, break down into the chapters or what are some of the other key break, uh, mechanics for breakthrough success from your book? What are some of the sort of the priorities do you think? Well, one is I start out with several chapters on what I call assessment to give you some of the ideas, for example. And some of them, they're very, very unique in that a lot of the things that you hear in gurus and everybody else, and we've mm -hmm. even been in some of the same meetings, we've heard some yep. of these things, and we, people will say, follow your strengths, don't worry about your weaknesses. Mm -hmm. I have a chapter in there called Know Your Weaknesses and Go on a Diet. Because there are some weaknesses that are really going to hold you back and restrain you. Yeah. And you have to know. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to master them. That you're going to, for example, let's say you don't speak well in front of an audience. So you can't give speeches mm -hmm. because you're scared to death. But if you learn well enough to be able to get up there and do a little, can do something, you're not going to be Jay Leno or Johnny Carson or whatever. But you are going to be able to do 
a good job. That will make a difference in your future and your life and hold you less back. Yeah. Another one, and actually it was a chapter in, it was actually an episode on my podcast and my editor said, you have got to include this in the book and expand on it. And, and I did. What happens is you're also hearing all these expressions by everybody say, follow your passion. Mm. Well, the, the chapter and the episode is passion can suck <laughs> the life out of you. Because literally, it can. I mean, if everybody just followed their passion, and actually passion is an attitude more than it is a love or a desire to be an actor, actress, a singer, et cetera. Yeah. Now, these are all in the first set, what I call assessment area. Then there's 11 chapters, which I call a more action, and there are ways and things for people to do to actually make the change or improvement. I thought it was really sort of powerful from uh, looking at your podcast. Uh, one of the questions um, that comes up in there, so what do you do if you're 54 and you feel you've wasted a lot of time? I think that's really powerful because I meet a lot of people who are sort of a lot younger than that and people that sometimes they're unhappy with their path they've chosen and they could be in their 20s, 30s, 40s, but they almost feel resigned to the fact I'm unhappy with it, but I've chose it. I've just got to ride it out. And bearing in mind, that's their life. <laughs> and they just go down that route. Why do you think people really struggle to make these changes? And I suppose the answer to quick, what is the answer to the question if you're 54 or 34 or 44 and feel you've wasted a lot of time? What, do they, what should these people do? Or what do you think is a, a useful way to go for them? Well, that's the past. Mm. Drop it. And figure out what you want to do for the, you know, you say you're 54 and decide what you want to do for your next 40 years. The heck, if we're going to live to over into the 90s, mm. you got 40 more to go. Do you really want to continue doing what you're doing? Now, part of it is, and there's a chapter in the book that's really crucial, and it goes off of the concept that you've heard Jim Rohn say about the five, you're the average of your five closest yeah. friends or your income is the average. Well, I go on to that quite a bit and I explain some in details. And I also have used that in my own life, in essence. Somebody in high school, in order to get into a top football university and to be given that scholarship or get, given access in a sense to get into that school, they have to be not only the best in their high school, but probably one of the best in their state or whatever. Yeah. Then when they get into that college, they have to be better than not only anybody else coming in to that college for that position. They have to be better than most of the people in the country around to get invited to what's called the combine. And this is where they test them all out. I love all that stuff. I used to be a strength conditioning coach. And I've, since I moved to America, I they televise all the combines as well, don't they? Yes, right? yes, they do. Yeah. Yeah. That, then can you imagine, though, that a person gets invited to the combine? They have to, as you say, they have to perform extremely well. And if they do really well, they'll get drafted and invited to training camp. Then they have to do so well in training camp. And this is a little bit more difficult for somebody to understand. Of the remaining people, those getting invited to training camp, are only allowed to have 90 people. Yet when the season starts, you'll only have 53. There's probably 45 that are not going to be altered or changed or anything. So you really only have eight positions out of that other 45 to 50 people. So you have to excel so well there that the team decides that they want to keep you on and you will become a rookie. 
<laughs> then you have to play so well during that rookie season that you're invited back and become a regular NFL player. Now, while I'm saying it this way, now imagine, and getting back to the idea of the five friends, yep. do you think that NFL rookie or that NFL player still hangs out with his high school buddies to practice and play with? Of course not. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> and so if you want to excel or change your career or go someplace else in life, you have to really try to do something different and expand outside that. And that's actually one of the main things I'm helping people with. The Life Unsettled podcast, what, 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 was the, what drove you to do that? How long has that been going for? It's been going for about 18 months. And uh, when I started it, what actually happened was all of a sudden I was talking with my wife because what I did is I decided, gee, you know, this is exactly what I said to her. I said, you know, I have helped a lot of people and companies make gobs of money. I think I'm going to start doing that for you and I, hon, working <laughs> on that. Her reply was, well, duh. <laughs> that's a good idea. <laughs> so actually, that's how, it, that's how uh, my orientation started. And then all of a sudden, I, uh, it was only a, a few months later that I said, you know, I can just share this with everybody. And that's really how this all started. I just decided with the podcast, heck, I can share this with other people. Because whatever I'm learning, why not let other people in on If people, obviously, if they want to find out more, they can listen to the Life Unsettled podcast. But I mean, if they want to get in touch with you, contact or find out more or connect with you, what's the best way? Easiest way is you can certainly send me an email at thomas at lifeunsettled.com. If you go to lifeunsettled.com, you can also go to thomasogradyphd.com. And actually, that would be my main website. Brilliant. Um, and in terms of someone with this multiple streams of income, what I know, obviously, we touched on because obviously you can't rely necessarily on one one stream of income to just be going on for years and years and years. What practical advice could you give in ways you promote going about it? Or is it, it's so individual to that person that you can't really give sort of generalizing comments on an interview? Well, you can give generalizing comments that are specific to individuals. How's that? Yeah. That's, that's okay. what's covered in comments. Yeah. <laughs> so one, one way of looking at it is everybody has things that they love and like to do. Mm-hmm. And almost, and if you do or learn to do them well or like doing them well, you could do everything from teaching others, helping others with that same hobby. If it's something where you're building things, they might be able to be saleable, they, or just teach other people how to build them. You really have the ability to do so much more. It used to be that if you had a corner store, you were limited by the foot traffic around you. Yeah. Now your foot traffic is the world. I'd like to get a few resources. And I, I definitely want to, apart from your own book, which is, I say, just released, so I recommend The Mechanics for Breakthrough Success, going and checking that out. But is there a, a book or maybe two books that have been really helpful you, for, for you over in your career or you think are a good recommendation to someone who is feeling you know, a bit unsettled in their life, who is sort of worried about the future and, and knows they need to make some, you know, some, some significant changes to have a chance of really enjoying life moving forwards. Yeah, let me mention a couple of things. But first, let me sort of say now, the publisher's going to get kicked off of me for this. <laughs> but on the mechanics of breakthrough success, the version is a lot cheaper. Uh, <laughs> anyway, 
there's a book out there. It's been out there for now 20 plus years. It's been updated, I think, but and it's uh, from two professors that were in New Hampshire, and they had researched where, who are the millionaires, what are they, what do they have, et cetera. Yeah. It's called the Millionaire Next Door. Okay. Excellent book. Excellent book to understand who they are and what they are, because we're all under. People are under the impression that. The you know you have to have certain careers et cetera to make a lot of money. Most of those careers that make a lot of money, they also have a huge number of expenses. What happens is, in order to be impressive and get the promotions, they have to live in a neighborhood and buy a house that they can't quite afford yet. And I, I love this one. This is one I said and I just knew from my own research from when I was at General Motors that when people buy a new house. Within six months, my next door neighbor said to me, well, why don't you get a new car? I said, that's old. I said, yeah, I know it's old and it's fully paid for. Yeah. And I said, let me put it this way to you. Look at along this street here that we're on, on our street. And these are all very high-end homes. Yeah. And he, I said, every single person that moves in here or has moved in here, within six months of moving in, they first of all have bought a house they can't afford yet, but they're hoping the future income rises. <laughs> yeah. And then they'll be able to afford it. But within six months, they're going to buy a car that they can't afford to go along with the house they can't afford. Yeah. And they also have to dress in a way for success they can't afford to go with the career and the house and the car they can't afford. So it, one of the key things that this points out is, and when I first read the book, it pointed out, for example, that there was a guy who owned the junkyard that was a millionaire. And as soon as we read this, this was a former neighborhood, as soon as we read this, my wife said, yeah, matter of fact, the guy on the top of the hill here owns a junkyard. And he had the most expensive house. As a matter of fact, he had imported columns from Europe, et cetera, for the front of the house and all kinds of things. He owned a junkyard. The difference is, he goes to work. He doesn't have to dress fancy. He doesn't have to do that. He doesn't have to have a special car or anything else. He saves his money. Yeah. I heard on a show not too long ago, somebody who started, the only thing he does is most lawns. He started when he was about 16 years of age, put aside everything he could. He's 52 now and has two and a quarter million dollars. That is, it's crazy. But yeah, I interviewed someone else and that's the first time I'd heard about this book, The Millionaire Next Door. And it turned out their, um, their mum, who brought up the, the sort of, I think it's probably, it was at least three of them. And, you know, she'd, in his eyes, she'd struggled and she'd worked jobs and she was always saving. And then he found out she's a millionaire and she'd been a millionaire for a long time, but she'd always lived well within her mean, means. And no matter how tight things were, she was always saving. It was that compound effect. It's crazy. Staying out of debt is crucial. If you're not out of debt, I actually said this to some kids who were with their father one time. I said, well, just remind your dad, when you drive by that big bank building downtown, he helped build that. <laughs> oh, man. You can't stick your head in the sand about these things. Definitely not. Yeah. And they're actually fairly easy because actually you've got a, you get a huge pay raise when you're out of debt and, you're, and everything is paid for. Yeah, because you're not paying the bank, you're not paying other things. Well, I'm I'm happy the fact that I, I pay for my cars outright and then I run them into the ground. <laughs> so I feel good about I that. Do, right <laughs> I do the same thing. We both do the same thing, and actually, it's kind of interesting when somebody says to me, 
I just got a brand new Maserati or Porsche or something like that. Wow, I don't have that much cash. Well, I, I got a, uh, I got a loan, so you didn't buy the car. Yeah. <laughs> you got a mortgage on your car. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You just went and got a mortgage for a car. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, I've always voted for a car. If you can't, if you can't afford to buy it, don't buy it. Yeah. <laughs> but particularly when I was in the service, a bunch of people came up to me and said, "Why are you saving so much money?" Because I had extra things. I was yeah, or hoarding it all away into the savings program. You're saving all this money. They said you could die tomorrow. And without a second thought, I said, "Yeah, but what happens if I live?" <laughs> and they all stood there with a blank face on their face. No expression whatsoever. Oh my God. Never thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know one I know one of those people that said it to me and that person is destitute today. Yeah. No, I, can... I wish it on them, but you know, you've got to take care of your future. Yeah. yeah. It can be and it can be quite a fine line, the slight edge, you know, can obviously work both ways, like you said, but the compound interest going the right way or the wrong way. Who would you recommend from your network that I interview for the show next? Who would be a great interview for the podcast? One might be Amy Schmidauer. Uh, she's YouTube video oriented person. Okay. And uh, social media. She's very good. I really feel like I want to ask this sort of question and, and from a selfish point of view, what advice would you give to your 36 year old self? Um, it could be general, it could be specific. What would you say if you had a chance to look back to your 36 year old self and, you know, give you, give him a slap around the head and say, <laughs> give him some good advice. Um, everybody talks about setting your goals and choosing your goals, etc. Mm -hmm. But one of the things I point out is that, People also have New Year's resolutions. And New Year's resolutions are things like, I want to lose 10 pounds. I want to go to the gym regularly. I want to eat healthier. You know, they're mm -hmm. all a little stuff. Yeah. And 95% of people break the rules and stop doing it in less than three weeks. So if you've got this humongous goal and you can't keep a dumb little piece of thing for three weeks, how in the world are you going to accomplish it? So what you have to do then is turn around and decide not just what you want, but why you want the change. Now, I discuss it thoroughly in the book as far as how to ensure your goals or ensure your success. Yeah. Uh, part, of, part of it also is brought out in a Rocky movie where he had to, he had to develop that desire, that need, and that want yeah love it i love it i thought he's gonna uh, apart from a rocky movie that i sort of, uh, that really resonated with me recently is um someone kept saying to me and it, it literally they kept saying almost the words of tomorrow or i'll do that tomorrow i'll get this tomorrow I'll, I'll do that tomorrow and there's a bit in the rocky movie i think apollo's whacking rocky around the head and he's just shouting no yes that's the one i love that i just sent that little clip like a, a minute clip to him and he's like yeah i get your point <laughs> Because <laughs> it's been going on for a while. Yeah. Love it. Absolutely love that, it. <laughs> that, that beach scene um, was one of the things that I was referring to. I thought it might Where basically, but basically, and you also have to want it for yourself. Yeah. But there's also this scene when he first goes to this old black gym 
in Los Angeles and a lot of things like that. There's a lot of pieces to that. Actually, Rocky Three is my favorite movie of all time. And I say that to most people, they don't know. They think, <laughs> wait, what are you talking about? And what happens is they're watching it to see the boxing. I don't really care about the boxing. They could leave the whole boxing scene out. Yeah. But the whole thing itself, that's really right up until the time the boxing starts. That's really what matters and makes the difference. It's, and there's so many parts of life that are shown and blown holes in that that are so important to people. No, I, I love but, Rocky Free. Yeah, it's very, I, I, very powerful. I, yeah. It's got so many layers. We've obviously Apollo, um, obviously a bit of mentoring and training with him, and, and then obviously the, the young gun, Mr. T, coming up. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, and who obviously wants it a lot at that stage, <laughs> and Rocky doesn't. Oh, that's, that's brilliant. Yeah, Rocky has already had a success, yeah. and it's difficult for him to get motivated again. Yeah. yeah. One of the things, one, take a look, and I, I relate that to also when you're taking a look and raising kids. Mm. How come you know, people can't have, who have done so well can't motivate their kids. Well, one is they give them too much. Yeah. And then, and they don't really earn anything. And that's really a major, major problem. Yeah. And the other, th the other thing is the kid already has more wealth and everything than they could ever want. It's been an absolute, absolute pleasure today talking to you. Um, thank you so much. For very, very nice too. Thanks a lot. And where are you moved, where have you moved to in Michigan? Um, Northern Michigan. So Rogers city, um, it's about an, two hours um, south of Canada and or Sea St. Marie. Um, so we're not on the Upper Peninsula, but we're, we're on the Great Lake, Lake Huron. So uh, it's beautiful. Okay, okay. But yeah, I, I'm yeah, looking well, forward to getting back there because it's lovely this time of year, but we're, we're visiting back in England at the moment because it usually is flying and get up, get up to Northern Michigan. But um, Thomas, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'll, I'll let you uh, get on with your day now. Okay, thanks a lot. You take care. No take, worries. Take it easy. Head over to ayalpha.com. Now's the chance. If you've been listening to the show, feel free to book yourself in to discuss your goals and then create a path to achieve it. I'm here to help you, whether it's to give you that clarity or partner with you going into the end of 2016 to really finish off this year strong. If you're serious about taking some action, let's start it off with jumping on the phone with me. Have a great week and I'll speak to some of you very soon. It is time to awaken your alpha.